Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he can't decide whether he wants to play elves or elementals. It's Matt Morgan. I heard that there's a, uh, a snowstorm moving in for New York City, which includes you know the Wall Street area. And I thought, man, what a terrible time for shorts. <laughs> oh, man, Matt. A plus applause, applause. Matt, you're such a treasure with those dad jokes that you should be able to tap for mana. That was great. I'm such a treasure. I, I just have to tap. I stay untapped though. We're you good. stay untapped. Untapped treasure. I got vigilance. it. Anyway, Always <laughs> up vigilance. next. Up next, he can't decide whether he wants to destroy all elves or elementals. That's Dana Roach. Um, I, I actually saw people on Twitter today complaining about how we haven't had a new secret lair drop in a while. So we've basically come full circle now, and the complaint is we're not getting enough secret layers. What an opening you guys have constructed for this week's episode. I love you guys. That's awesome. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for your new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all that data a little more context. Hey, Matt, what is it that we're talking about this week? We are going to dig so deep into tribal decks it is not even funny. We're going to talk all about tribes today. That we are. There's so many things for tribes happening in Kaldheim. It has kind of reawakened a, a bit of extra tribal deck fervor that you can build around. There's a whole bunch of new elves going on. There's some love for the angel tribe. There's just a whole lot happening in Kaldheim. And I feel like that's going to affect some of the data that we see on EDH Rec for all of those, you know, different tribal decks that people love to construct because it is a really, really popular way of deck building. So it should be a whole lot of fun. We're going to go through all of those big tribes and see what will the data look like, maybe give some projections about that. But you know what? Before we get to that main topic, let's pause real quick and give a huge thank you to Josh Lequai and all the folks at the Command Zone who handle the post-production work on the podcast here. Really awesome work. Thank you so much for making the podcast look as cool as it does. And of course, let's always give a huge thank you to our sponsors for the show too. Yeah, the EDH Recast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Um, lately, we've seen some pretty crazy price creep on a whole bunch of singles, and you can take advantage of that by buy-listing cards you aren't playing to Card Kingdom for these increased prices. <laughs> they also have a huge selection of singles, as does our other sponsor, TCG Player. Um, their nearly limitless collection makes it easy for you to pick up whatever you need for your new deck, whether it's old cards or new cards. Just go to EDH Rec to the brand new internet face, click on the card in question and choose the vendor link down below. Doing so supports both the site and the show. And if you'd prefer to partner with us directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDH RecCast. We have tiers of all sorts of different levels, whether you want to submit a challenge of stats for us to feature on the show, we definitely do that. Or you just want to come and join the Discord. Maybe you want to Razz our mods a little bit, maybe razz us a little bit. We have dad joke channels even. So if you want to do that, you can head over to patreon.com slash EDH and get in on all those bonus perks. We even have a perk where we give a special shout out to a certain patron every single week. And this week we want to thank Elena Runge for being a patron. Elena, you are awesome. We appreciate the support and thank you for being a patron of ours. Yes, thank you so, so much. All right, fellas, let's get to that topic about those tribes 
tribal decks, some of the tribal data that we see on EDH Rec. I'm having a, a tough time recalling right now, actually. Do you guys play a whole lot of tribal decks yourselves? I know that we play all the time on twitch.tv slash EDH Recast every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, but I'm actually <laughs> struggling to remember. Do you guys play a lot of tribal decks? Is it kind of your jam or is it not something that you usually enjoy? Dana, where do you think you fall? Um, I, I, I like tribal decks. I only have one currently because it's one of those things where like it becomes a repetitive theme. I really don't want to repeat it. Um, so I have my one Sphinx tribal deck and that's it. But that's I right. like tribal decks quite a bit. I also I, I enjoy me some some tribal decks. Uh, I don't think I have any currently unless you want to count my Alila historic tribal where every card is <laughs> a saga or artifact or anything like that. But I do enjoy a nice creature based tribal deck as just right up my alley. And I've, I've had several over my my playing career. That's, I thought that Dana was going to say his death touch, quote, tribal deck might be the thing. But no, nah, that doesn't count. Saga tribal, that wouldn't count. For me, I know that I'm actually very hesitant to play tribal decks personally. Like, I tried Edgar Markov for a while, and that dude's absolutely busto. But it kind of felt like, oh, I don't know if this is usually my jam. I can't cheat creatures out of the graveyards as efficiently when it's a tribal deck. So it just didn't feel quite right for me. But with that said, with all of the love that tribes have been getting, such as we saw, you know, there was a whole bunch of stuff going on for rogues and battle for Zendikar. And now upcoming with Kaldheim as well, I am kind of getting the itch personally to be like, should I build some more tribal decks? This seems like I might be missing out. This is a really interesting strategy uh, to try and use because the tribes themselves can be so unique. Well, and tribes are just, they're extremely popular too. I mean, when we don't have a, a page on EDH rec for just tribal decks in general, we have an entire category for that. Like there are so many different tribes out there and they're just so popular. We can't just fit it into a single category. It's gotta be its own entire just universe almost of just different types of tribes. Just like there are plus one plus one counter decks or super friend planeswalker decks, just tribal decks in general. Like we have to give elves their own category or dragon. And we're going to talk about all those different ones here in the show. Yeah, definitely. That's a really good point, though, Matt. I think people really like to find a hook with their commander decks, something they can kind of like sink their their building teeth into when they brew. Mm -hmm. And tribal's just a, an easy way to find that hook. I'm going to build dragons or elves or, or merfolk or whatever it winds up being. It, it's an easy way for you to build a kind of personalized deck to you and, and narrow down your focus and just build with within these really specific parameters that kind of give your deck character. Mm, absolutely. And like Matt said, if you want to follow along for this episode, we are going off of those tribal pages. There's the theme pages and the tribal pages on EDHREC, and they are really, really helpful to help you find what are these big heavy hitter tribes that dominate the commander format. And let's get to them. Matt, start us off. What is the most popular tribe that we see gracing the commander format? Well, the most popular tribe shouldn't be really any surprise because they kind of spawned the Elder Dragon Highlander name in there, but it is dragons. It is all sorts of big expensive flying beaters that just happen to storm the battlefield. Uh, the most popular dragon tribal commander happens to be the Ur-Dragon, which is the five-color dragon commander. Uh, over 2,800 decks to their name, uh, number 19 all-time when it comes to 
uh, the amount of decks to their name, but Ur-Dragon just does some big, crazy powerful things, cheating dragons into play. So it's obvious, you know, why people would want to be playing the Ur-Dragon for their dragon tribal deck. Really, really cool stuff. And what I especially think is so cool about dragons is the way that they've been able to define themselves. This is a really big thing for me. I don't just want to play a tribal deck where it's just like, okay, so, you know, none of the individual creatures are as important as the fact that you have a whole bunch of creatures that have a creature type in common and and it kind of almost kind of feel in a way like if I were to build a tribal deck what sets it apart from another tribe where it's just like oh I got to get a whole bunch of creatures onto the field right and it's just like well uh, you know door of destinies dot deck coat of arms boom and the tribe goes crazy like that doesn't feel as unique to me but what's cool about dragons is that they have definitely been able to find that type of sub theme to them it's not just a whole bunch of big dragons but a whole lot of these dragons like a really surprising amount of them have this kind of sub theme running through them of these like attack triggers. There's the Dromoka that can get your dragons to become even bigger whenever they attack. There's Silumgar who when he attacks will deplete the life force of your enemy creatures. There's Utvara Hellkite as well which creates more dragons for you as more dragons attack. There's this really cool sub theme for dragons that I just really do appreciate when I start looking through how that tribe can set itself apart. Aside from just being big flying lizards, they've also got this cool attack trigger thing going on in their decks too. Yeah, it definitely makes things very interesting there. And in addition to that, you know, you talked about the the five color dragon being the most popular in Sign of the Ur Dragon and the Ur Dragon, but you're not really that restricted in terms of dragons. There there are a ton of mono red legends and you can go that route if you want to. Um Lathless Dragon Queen is one that sees a bit of play, but there's there's a handful of them that you see, but they branch out in quite a few colors as well. You can build a pretty solid dragon tribal deck using something like um Atarka World Renderer if you want to play in the Golgar area, excuse me, in the um Gruel space. Or, you know, Silumgar in the Drifting Death in in um Demir cares about dragons as well, and there's a finite amount of them, but there's tricks you can do in that space as well if you want to play Demir dragons. There's there's dragons in every color, and, and you can actually do dragon things in those colors, which is which is really kind of cool. Very, very much. Yeah, no, no matter what you want to do, there, you can make a dragon tribal deck in nearly every color combination, and they've made sure over the years, whether it's Croesus or any of those older you know, legendary dragons, you've got a legendary dragon in a color combination, you can build a dragon tribal deck around that if you want to do teamer colors for example you want to play the the red the green and the blue you can do intet the dreamer you know and do teamer of the dreamer there's all sorts of different <laughs> fun things you can do with dragon tribal decks with legendary dragons yeah. um, they're kind of iconic to magic the gathering so it's no surprise to see so many legendary dragons but also that just dragons are the most popular tribe in the game Coming up behind dragons the second most popular tribe one that's only going to get more and more popular is Elves. Very common in green, but also a bit now in Golgari too. We famously had elf tribal commanders like Azuri Renegade Leader who can regenerate and uh, overrun power up your elves. But now we've also got some new entries coming in the Golgari versions like Abomination of War and the new Lathral Blade of Elves, which I would suspect might even be challenging Azuri for the number one spot as elf tribal goes because Precon commanders definitely have a pretty dominating effect on popularity. A big signature thing for elves that I also notice is definitely how much mana they can produce. You've got your elvish archdruids and your priests of Titania. Elves are just so good at making so, so much mana that it isn't just like you're playing a whole bunch of bodies on the battlefield. You are also making so much mana that you almost might not even know what to do with it all. Yeah, elf decks have zero problems creating a ton of mana. Like like you said, you named off two very, very good mana generators. 
and there's no shortage of, of mana sinks, especially in the color green where, you know, you have the, the classic Crater Hoof Behemoth, whether you're playing legacy elves or commander elves, you can just, it's called elf ball for a reason where you snowball into some very massive effects. And in the comparison, Joe, you mentioned how they tend to make mana though. That's where things really get interesting here. We're looking at, at one tribe that's quite a bit different, our number two tribe, than our number one tribe. This this one tends to be small creatures who make a ton of mana um, and don't really have evasion versus giant beaters with evasion that tend to have attack triggers. Those are two very different tribes, and those decks will play very differently. So just because you are playing tribal doesn't mean there's any overlap at all between the tribes that are being played. Yeah, and that's that's such a huge thing is to like when you are starting off with building one of those decks, especially if it's a tribe that you're not as familiar with, like you don't just want to find ways that will make the tribe good. Like, yeah, we can all read that Door of Destinies is going to pump up the whole team and there are other elves that will anthem pump up the whole team. And it's like, cool, but there's still more going on underneath that. And if you want to build a support structure for the tribe, you don't want it to just be a whole bunch of quote unquote generic cards that help tribal decks in general. But you also don't want it to be like good stuff green cards that wouldn't have anything to do with what that tribe's actually all about. So Matt, like you said, you would want it to be something that really fits into what this actual deck is doing, which in this case is producing a whole bunch of mana. You'd be searching for those mana sinks. Maybe a finale of devastation would be another way that you can totally tear up the battlefield because that's just leaning into something that's so natural to what this tribe is already doing rather than supporting it with just another good stuff green card that doesn't actually work with the tribe nearly as effectively. Yeah, overrun effects in elf decks are just extremely powerful because like Dana pointed out, like you're putting a lot of bodies onto the field. So even though you have, you know, 10 one ones, those one ones become much, much larger creatures once you get any of these effects on the battlefield. And, and Joey started this off talking about how we've gotten a bunch of Golgari elf support. Um, you know, Selesnia elves has been a thing for a while too, particularly because Reese Redeemed is a very strong commander. Yep. So with, with almost 30 years of making cards here, you know, originally once upon a time, elves were very much in, in just green. Then we get green, white, now we get green, black. That's something that we're going to see repeated through all of these tribes we discussed too, how just over the years, the different directions just in terms of colors you could take them has also really, really spread out. I mean, Simic Elves is very popular. I mean, we do have Azuri Claw of Progress, which classic elf strategy. Very true. Well, there you mm. go. There's Joey's choice if he decides he wants to build his first tribal deck. We, we, yeah, there it is right there. I don't appreciate it. Y'all know that I have <laughs> not nice feelings about Azuri Claw of Progress. I will call him Azuri Flaw of Progress and pretend that I'm being all superior about it. Let's just move on to the next tribe. Because actually, Dana, the point that you just hit there about tribes expanding into other colors, I feel like that definitely applies to the next most popular tribe. Yeah, the next most popular tribe here is Zombies. Um, which, you know, originally were a black-only tribe way back in Alpha. You had Zombie Master and you had things like Scathed Zombies that got buffed by Zombie Master. It was a mono-black tribe. But relatively quickly, a couple expansions in, we got a, a blue zombie in the Drowned that actually had a, had a black regeneration um, ability on it. So at relatively quickly, zombies spread over into into black-blue. And over the years, you know, right now the most popular zombie tribal commander is Verena Lich Queen. That's an Esper. There's white zombies and it's the most popular commander that, that is black-blue uh, white. So that's a, a tribe that's absolutely all over the place. Golgari elves is a thing as well. Excuse me, Golgari zombies is a thing as well. So basically, except for red, zombies are everywhere also. I, Matt, does it... <laughs> 
Sorry, I, really I, want I was laughing to, know. to myself too when he started talking about old cards from Alpha and <laughs> the yeah. dark. I and, mean, the dark I, ages. I, I we, we get it. A little bit of background for all y'all. Well, no, Dana, like I need the listeners to know that stuff that he just listed off. That's not in our show notes. He just knows those cards off the top of his head that <laughs> I don't even remember what they were. But that's some that's some A plus historian work there, Dana. Well, well done. Yeah. As ways that zombies kind of set them apart. I mean, I'm usually used to interfacing with zombies as like an incidental kind of thing in all of my necromancy decks. But like necromancy is a really big thing for zombies, specifically not like you're reanimating uh, any individual specific zombie that's going to stand above the rest because it is very much like you want to have a cohort of them, a whole bunch of them to really overwhelm. But the thing that stands out to me most about zombies compared to other tribes is just their stinking resilience. There are so many zombies that can just bring themselves right back or just replace themselves almost instantly. The new Narfi, for example, uh, from Kaldheim, can just bring himself right back out of the graveyard. And that's common for a whole lot of different zombie effects. So they are just literally impossible to kill, which is A plus flavor. Yeah, like you said, the the self-replacement is what I think makes zombie decks the hardest to deal with. Like, it's not unheard of for whenever a creature dies, you make more zombies. Well, you're just making a bunch of creatures die and making more zombies, and you're making those creatures die and make more zombies. So it's just like this vicious cycle you just can't get over. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to deal with. It's obviously, it's very popular, but you also have some just powerful cards like Rooftop Storm, which lets you cast all your zombies for free, basically. Um, there's some really powerful synergies in zombie decks that are, you know, they're not just around death and, and reanimation, all those kind of Joey types of things. You can actually do other things and make zombies too. Yeah, there's they are just really good at using their grave as a resource, which I really, really appreciate. And that's something that will totally set them apart from a bunch of other tribes, too. And if you are looking for more to support your zombie deck, it might be not that you just lean towards like, oh, these are cards that create zombies. But you can also lean towards maybe some self mill effects to give you more to work with in that graveyard space or possibly wheeling your own hand to then fill up the graveyard that way, too, in a way that your opponents might not be able to take advantage of as nicely. So that can be some other ways that you find extra support for this tribe. Um, uh, let's see, that was number three. Who do we got next? What's the fourth most popular tribe? Coming in at number four, we have the vampire tribe. So anything that wants to fly around and suck your blood, turn into bats, <laughs> that's what we got coming up next. So historically, we only saw these in, in mono black, as Dana would probably be keen to point out when he told Richard Garfield about how to design this game. <laughs> Um, but also we have, you know, other popular colors. You know, we have the Mardu color combination um, as evidence with Edgar Markov, which is one of the most popular commanders, not just of any tribal decks, but of all time. Number seven all time with over 3,600 decks to their name. Um, but we also have Orzov vampires that have come along. And Rakdos apparently was the original back in Innistrad times. So you have all sorts of different color combinations to play with vampires as well. Um, and it's just a very, very popular deck, whether you want to play a Lend of the Dusk Rose and kind of go the token route in Orzov colors, or you want to go Olivia Voldaren and play the Rakdos black-red color combination. You have a lot of different options just because vampires have been around for a long time. Now, vampires for me introduce kind of a, a plot twist maybe to the traditional, you know, like, oh, what is the sub-theme for this tribe? Because I think there might be kind of, um, I don't know, I, I feel like the, the main thing that people will lean towards for vampires as a sub-theme is kind of a life gain synergy. For example, the card Sanguine Bond appears in 43% of vampires vampire tribal decks. I feel like that's not actually 
the correct way to go for this tribe, though. I think the real sub-theme that you should lean into when you're building vampire tribals is just plain old aristocrats. Stuff like your cordial vampire or your blood artist that will have amazing triggers whenever creatures die. I feel like that's a much better way to go than the life gain stuff, which doesn't necessarily have as much to do with the actual creatures themselves. There are some vampires that can gain you life off of death triggers or just have lifelink, but that's not nearly as strong as just the stuff that patron of the vein can do whenever creatures die. You know, I feel like aristocrats is just a much better fit uh, for the vampires as a sub theme. Well, one of the problems with vampires, I guess I, I use the term problem loosely, is very early on, they were really committed to that Sanger vampire thing where you put a counter on it if the Sanger vampire happened to kill a creature that turn. Um, in, in the first you know, handful of vampires they made all did that kind of thing, which isn't a very good ability, and it doesn't really stack or do anything with other creatures of that same tribe. So it, it hasn't been until the last you know, eight or ten years where they've kind of really leaned more heavily into that aristocrats theme instead of the, the kind of kill a creature, make your commander, make, make your vampire stronger theme of the early days. So a lot of the good vampires you see are ones from recent years that are more doing aristocrat kind of stuff than those early ones that were built using that Senker vampire mechanic. Well, and, and one thing to note too is Edgar Markov is the only commander that all three of us at some point in time have had. And I remember yeah. Dane and I, we compared our lists years ago back when we both kept up with the deck. And they were very, very different. Like you can go mm-hmm. the the very low to the ground, uh, you know, ones and two drop type vampires to trigger er- Edgar Markov's eminence ability. Or you can kind of go the, the bigger round, do like the patron of the vein type of things. So it's just kind of interesting how Edgar Markov, you know, for... The, the people that are probably playing these types of decks, they're kind of all over the place, which is really interesting to see, which is also probably why the sub themes like you noticed, Joey, there's the life gain, there's some aristocrats, they're kind of scattered a little bit, but because, you know, there's lots of different ways that Wizards has supported the vampire tribe over the past few years. So let's move on from talking about vampires, which are kind of the, the cool, best-dressed kids in your high school tribe, <laughs> to goblins, who are very much the uh, tribe of the kids picking their nose underneath the bleachers. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, goblins are in red and Rakdos, and the most popular commander, for good reason, among goblins is Krenko Ma Boss, who's an absolute powerhouse of a commander, uh, 2,600 decks, the, the 25th most popular commander overall, um, really, really strong. Um, although there's a few other options here, uh, Muxus, Goblin Grandy, and Wart, uh, Boggart Ante, if you want to go into Teractos, that's an option there. There's a few red-green options as well, but primarily goblins tend to be mono-red, and uh, unlike the kind of more complicated strategies we've talked about with these other tribes, Goblins pretty much just go wide. Like that's what their thing is. Is they are the uh, the scoot mob of of tribes. <laughs> oh, of tribes, basically. Yeah. See, see, Dana, I was more thinking that the, these are the kids underneath the bleachers. Like goblins are like the kindergartners because sure. every time you look, there's more of them, and then you turn around, there's ten more of them, and you turn around, there's ten more of them. Yeah. They're, they're the tribe that eats paste. Oh my goodness, yeah. this metaphor is yeah, absolutely yeah. hilarious. I think another cool thing is that goblins are just able to benefit so much from the fact of them entering. Like they are the type of self-destructive tribe, I would too also say. Like the card Goblin Bombardment is called exactly that for a reason. Goblins don't mind being literally tossed across the battlefield if it means that they're going to do a whole bunch of extra damage. A single Perforos on the battlefield when you tap your Krenko is 
is probably lethal to some half of your enemies. Like they are also just like there's so much of us that, yeah, the going wide and even even destroying us will sometimes cause problems for you. I mean, a little kindergartner on a swing set. That's the goblin bombardment right there. (laughs) They're coming after you. I believe they were kind of the first tribe that had a non-creature card that cared about the thing the tribe was doing, which was a goblin grenade back in the day. Where in you fallen empires, you're welcome. Yeah, so uh, which is still a pretty decent card in EDH if you're playing goblins. I love you that you just know that off the top of your head, by the way, Dana. <laughs> this isn't just tribal decks and how to play them and the cool things that are unique about them. This is also a history lesson by Mr. Roach. <laughs> exactly. All right, who do we got next? Next up, we have the Wizard Tribe, and they're not of the coast this time. This is actually on the cards uh, that we're going to be playing. So typically we see Mono Blue, maybe some Is It Weirdos, uh, or Grixis Mages uh, tending to pick up the, the Wizard Tribal decks. Inala Archmage Ritualist is the most popular Wizard Tribal commander. Uh, 1,400 decks to their name. So yeah, it's, it's something that we see a lot of, but we also see a fairly diverse amount of legends, whether it's going to be a Zombie Lady the Scrolls or Adelie's the Cinderwind. We have a pretty diverse amount of legends that are pretty spread out as far as taking up all of that space in the wizard tribal decks. Wizards are so weird to try and get a grapple on too. Like for prospective wizard tribal players, this is, I think, a bit more of a difficult tribe to try and uh, to try and build around to because a typical sub-theme for wizards is how well they interact interface with spells. So it's kind of like you're building two decks and merging them into one. You have to have a lot of really cool spells that the wizards will then enhance and vice versa, which is a lot less straightforward than just I'm playing a whole bunch of elves and then pumping them up. Yeah. When I see a wizard deck, I assume I'm going to lose to a combo. That's in some way, shape or form. That's kind of what I think the finish is going to wind up being. Um, and that's in part because they interface so nicely with various spells in the deck. Yeah. Dualcaster Mage is a little bit famous for having different infinite combo potentials that it can do. And that is a thing that loves some spells and loves just being a wizard that can be copied by your other wizards or uh, tapped by your other wizards for cool benefits. It's definitely a lot of crazy stuff that you can pull off. So up next on the tribal list here, we can talk about dinosaurs which a little bit are kind of dragons without wings. Uh, that's, that's not entirely true, um, but it's a little bit true. They are kind of the big stompy tribe that just doesn't have flying. And I think they're, they're a little bit different. There, there tends to be, um, they've, they've leaned a little bit into that damage dealt to them can wind up making them stronger theme that we saw um, back in Ixalan. Um, but Gishath, Sons of Avatar here, is the number one most popular Dino Tribal Commander, just short of 3,000 decks, which is really impressive. And you also see Ala Palani running a lot of dinosaurs, and Zakama kind of. Yeah, kind of. Naya is a just a heaping pile of dinosaurs. And Dana, just like you said, those enraged triggers are just absolutely signature style for the dinosaur tribe. You've got a whole bunch of them with those effects like Ripjaw Raptor or Poly Raptor. A whole lot of raptors going on here where when they are dealt damage, you will get amazing effects. So even if you try to stop them in combat, it's not going to go well for you. But that's another thing that if you're looking for how to build a support structure of the deck, it's not just going to be make sure you got some mana acceleration 
or that you got to your card advantage. You can also run cards like your own damage based board wipes might be a way to not just wrath the field, but also get a whole bunch more out of it. You can slam a pyrohemia in there and then your dinosaurs are going to be dealt one damage by this little enchantment and give you a ton of extra benefit in a way that also totally shuts down your opponent's tiny tokens. There's a whole bunch that you can do with these dinosaurs. It's almost maddening how effective that damage can be. Well, I think it's also really important to note here, dinosaurs are a relatively new tribe. Um, Every one we've discussed prior to this on this list had a creature of that type in alpha. That is not true of dinosaurs. They like they've gone back and retroactively made some creature dinosaurs, but as far as Watsi printing creatures for this this tribe, it's been the last couple of years and that's it. So we're looking at, you know, closing on 30 years of development for some of these tribes versus three-ish years for dinosaurs, and they're already this popular. Well spotted and another history lesson. Thank you. <laughs> I would say it, it's Dana history of Magikawa. There we go. That was really fun. I appreciate that a whole lot, Matt. That You're was welcome. really good. You're welcome. All right. Let's uh, round it off when we're talking about those big powerhouse tribes. We can't have a tribal episode without talking about Slivers. Very famous Sliver Overlord can just go find you more Slivers. And all of those Slivers just totally specialize in sharing abilities with one another. One will come down and it's just like, all of your Slivers are flying. All of your Slivers get plus two, plus zero. All of your Slivers have indestructible or shroud or there's just so it's so it's man my whole family plays magic and the 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 family friend who taught us how to play magic taught us using slivers and man that was a rough entry into magic the gathering but i feel like it (laughs) i forged us like that that just had to be one of the weirdest and maybe worst introductions to the game of magic by having it be through slivers it forged us in fire and gave us a common enemy to fight against and bond as a family unit. It was absolutely great. But yeah, slivers are a little bit obnoxious, especially have you played against the first sliver, which gives them all cascade? Dear Lord, it's disgusting. Uh, I mean, that is definitely a signature thing about slivers with their shared abilities. But a cool thing that I think that that kind of allows the deck to do as well is to kind of issue using any other enchantments or artifacts that would like a whole bunch of them. You don't need a whole bunch of them because the slivers are providing those enchantment type of effects all on their own. So that allows the tribe to really just go absolutely ham without a whole bunch of extra non-creature cards uh, sort of rounding out the deck. It doesn't really need them all that much. Yeah, I mean, it's in its own way, it's kind of tribal tribal. Like your your slivers are getting better based off other slivers. That's what the theme is. They just make each other better. Um, and, And this is what's really, I think, attractive to people about slivers as well. In addition to them doing all the things in all the colors is this is a magic creature, like mm-hmm. as in unique to the game of magic. All the previous things we discussed as well are things that are kind of from fantasy lore or fantasy stories. This is something that magic made as their own specific creature type that you only find in this game. And that that is kind of a fun, unique thing that you can play this tribe that only exists in this space. And and what was the first set that they were printed, Dana? Do you know that off the top of your head? <laughs> I, I don't. It was Tempest. It was Tempest. You're welcome. Uh, it was, is it Tempest? Okay. It was. At least I'm pretty sure it was. Because Stronghold came after. But yes, it was Tempest. Okay. But yeah, it, I, 
it's it's just kind of crazy too that slivers are so popular but also like they've been featured in so few sets like we had them mm -hmm. in modern horizons we had the original ones back um you know in the weatherlight saga but it's been kind of few and far between since then but they're still insanely popular. Mm -hmm. I just, sorry, I had to pause for the history lesson because it's just, <laughs> it just seemed, I don't know, region for low hanging fruit there. Um, yeah, so those are a whole bunch of the powerhouse tribes that we're seeing, but we don't just want to talk about those, you know, those powerhouse, the, the most common tribes. It's good to make sure that we've got our bearings and especially how each of those different tribes can make themselves wholly unique as a tribal deck to give them all a unique flavor, um, a different way that they'll all play out than, you know, rather than just being, oh, we got a whole bunch of creature types and let's bump them up with the coat of arms. Like that's definitely good to go through. But we also kind of want to talk about, you know, with call time coming up and all of the different tribal love that we've been getting from recent sets, that might have an effect on the data in the future too. And we want to talk about that, but we're actually, before before we get there, we're going to take another pause because something I think we ought to do, we ought to challenge some stats, y'all. There's a whole bunch of data here on EDHREC, but you know, we don't always agree with it. Sometimes cards see too much play, sometimes they see too little play. So what we love to do here is challenge those stats. Matt, start us off with your challenge. What do you got this week? So my challenge this week comes actually from EDHREC directly, as in uh, Jevin Lordy, who does a Challenge of Stats article series. Um, he recently had Benny Smith on, who writes over at StarCityGames.com. Um, Benny is just one of the most fun people I've ever had a chance to interact with. I love his articles. I started reading his articles back when I first got back into Magic. Like, he's just somebody that's been playing the game of Commander for a long time, knows a lot about the game. Um, and he recently had some very, very good challenges uh, for Prosh Sky Raider of Kerr. So he noted that currently there's Genesis Storm and Skull Storm. Those are two of the Commander Storm type of cards where you get to copy it for each time you've cast your commander uh, in that game. And they both have a little different effect. So Genesis Storm, basically you get to reveal cards from the top of your library until you hit a permanent and you put that permanent on the battlefield. And then Skull Storm does all sorts of dirty, dirty things. Uh, makes everybody sacrifice a creature except for you. And then each opponent who can't sacrifice creature loses half their life rounded up. So in a deck like Prosh Sky Raider of Kerr, you're casting your commander quite a few times, whether you're doing the combo route with food chain or you're doing something else. There's a lot going on there. So these two cards, Genesis Storm and Skullstorm specifically, get very, very good in a Prosh deck in the case of, say, somebody has a Fog in hand, or you swing for lethal and they kill Prosh in response. These are very, very good backup plans. They're a little mana hungry, but you're in Jund Colors. You probably have no issue making a boatload of mana to cast these. And currently, Genesis Storm and Skullstorm show up in three Prosh decks and two Prosh decks, respectively. That is absurdly low but these are just great great finds for a commander that you are going to cast an arbitrary amount of times uh, i just really appreciate this because the skull storm and genesis storm the, the the commander storm cycle in general i think has a lot of potential so seeing these get shouted out i really like seeing so good call benny and jevin and make sure you check out the article over edh rec as well man skull storm is so much fun i use that as a finisher in my virtus and gorm deck since it loves cutting life totals in half and i've got two commanders so the storm just gets even bigger um that is a scary card to be on the end of as long as the person knows what they're doing with it and benny it sounds like you know what you're doing with it and i will be scared 
scared if I ever play against your Prosh deck. Uh, I'm going to move on to my challenge now. This is our listener submitted challenge. It comes from user in our Discord plaid clad known as Nick, also of the Scrap Trawlers podcast. Nick has submitted the card Widespread Panic. This is kind of a strange enchantment in red, about three mana, and it is something that helps kind of mess up your opponents, but also manipulate the top of your own library if you know what you're doing. Nick notes that Scroll Rack was recently reprinted in Commander Legends, and that is a really great card for setting up the top card of your library, but it's still like $30, and Panic is Widespread Panic is just pennies, so this could be a budget alternative for something that you can use to set up the top of your library. Specifically, what this enchantment does is whenever a spell or ability causes its controller to search their library, they have to put a card from their hand on top of their library afterwards. So that can totally be used to trip up your opponents who are like, you know, using too many evolving wilds or searching their deck too many times, tutoring up. It can really offset them, but it can also really shine in red decks where you care about your own top of the library, such as Mayel the Anima, which, you know, looks at the top of your library and can put a big creature into play, or Vevictus as Mahdi, the Dyer, who can also put the top card of your library into play if it's a permanent. These are ways that you can actually cheat mana costs as long as you are able to manipulate your own tutoring effects as well. And that can be a really cool thing to use. It's currently only seeing play in 161 decks, but it might be the kind of thing that you can twist to be good against your opponents and maybe even feed into your own strategy. So well spotted, Nick. Thanks for the submission, Nick. So my pick here is a card that's overplayed, um, but very specifically so. Um, it's in 75,000 decks in EDH Rec, and it's Farseek. Um, it's one in the green. Search your library for a Plains, Island, Swamp, or Mountain card, and put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. Um, it doesn't say basic, though, so you can go grab any land um, that has both of those land types, which makes it really, really useful in decks with multiple colors. It also makes it not really function at all in a mono green deck. Oh, that's where you're going with this. Okay. And, and out of curiosity, because this is something we have encountered in the past with a friend of the show, Andrew Cummings, <laughs> who was running it in a mono green deck, but I actually encountered it in a webcam game as well recently. So I went to check to see how many of our mono green commanders uh, were running Farseek. And the most popular mono green commander in EDH rec is Gargos. Um, Vicious Watcher, 13,000 decks, 31 of which are running Farseek. Um, second most popular is Azuri Renegade Leader, um, over 1,300 as well, five decks there. And number three is Ayula Queen of Bears, uh, 1,200 decks, 13 Ayula decks running Farseek, uh, a card that functionally does nothing in any of those decks. So it's a great card, and the vast majority of the time, if you're playing two or more colors, uh, and have access to it, you should run it. If you are playing Mono Green, you should not be running Farsi. <laughs> I just don't believe that the fail to find um, for two mana on a shuffle is worth a slot in your deck. So keep an eye on that. And, and remember, you can't get a forest with it. And that's really the only option in Mono Green. So uh, swap that out for something else. <laughs> it's, it's a really good catch. And it, it's surprising that like, this card still sneaks into mono green decks, even though it should be in an, an absolute zero because it effectively does nothing. So it's just, it's a good reminder, Dana, to just for all of us out there. Yes. You, you hear that, you five Azuri players out there running this card. <laughs> you Dana's coming players. for you. I'll be watching. I'm watching you. 
doesn't matter how big the stat is, Dana's going to challenge it. I love it. All right, guys, let's get on to the next part of the show. We don't just want to talk about, you know, the big tribes, but we also kind of want to address maybe the ways that tribes might shift, especially now that Kaldheim is coming out and... um and doing some stuff like it's bringing back changeling, which can really help buffer up and pad out a whole lot of different tribes, especially ones that don't have enough support. But it's also bringing some new stuff and especially some past sets we've even seen have just kind of breathed new life into different tribes. And that's something that can kind of cause the format to shift around a little bit in cool ways as tribes become more viable. Matt, I know that this was especially something uh, that you noticed as we were getting all of these different sets over time that were just like, holy crap, this one suddenly is making a whole new tribe viable or we're getting a whole bunch of extra pieces and that could totally change what we traditionally expect from tribal decks. Yeah, well, and Kaldheim, just Changeling alone gives every single deck by nature of the, the mechanic, every single deck can benefit from every time they bring back Changeling. So it's really interesting to see, you know, all the potential that Changeling cards have from Kaldheim. But there are also some very specific cards that are helping out some existing tribes that we know of, but that just maybe needed a little bit of help in certain areas. And Kaldheim is certainly giving that to those. Yeah. What cards jump out to you in particular, would you say? Well, I, I think the two biggest benefits to, to Angel specifically in Kaldheim are going to be Starnheim, Aspirant, and then Youthful Valkyrie. Um, it used to be your, your Angel tribal deck. The curve kind of started at four, which sounds great. But then you remember, typically you were in mono white. So being able to have a cost reducer um, in the three mana slot or just an Angel that you can cast for two mana, I think that's huge for Angel tribal decks that rewards you for then having more Angels come in the battlefield later. Uh, there's just so many cool things with just the Valkyrie flavor wise, but then also doubling as angels to go in these tribal decks. Uh, angel tribal decks are definitely getting a huge boon from call time. Yeah, Angels have gotten such a crazy, weird influx of cards. Rampage of the Valkyries, the Flight of the Valkyries song that everyone will be humming whenever they cast it, of course. Um, that new enchantment that creates an angel and then is also a Grave Pact effect for your angels. Whenever an angel you control dies, each other player sacrifices a creature. Definitely music to my ears. I love it totally. But like, what an unexpected twist to get from all of the Kaldheim cards. Furia's Retribution is another, a saga that at the end of all of the stuff that it does will give your angels double strike. It's maybe not like the, the best thing that we've seen ever, you know, taking a long time to get to double strike. We are a format that runs true conviction a whole lot, but even then, like there's so much going on with what angels can do. There's a whole bunch of extra support. There's the new righteous Valkyrie as well. Matt, like you said, they're all just being so, them being at a lower mana cost is a way that helps out the tribe in just a totally unexpected direction. Instead of just giving us a whole bunch of eight mana stuff, it is being fleshed out in such a brand new way. Yeah, being flushed out is a good way to phrase that um, because you're being pointed specifically in the direction of playing Orzhov Angels and support is being provided to do that. You know, in the past, you absolutely could play Boros Angels if you wanted to or, you know, Sigarda existed if you, for some reason, wanted to try to play in um, the Selesnia space with Angels, but nothing really supported that. You would just be running the traditional Angel cards in white and gain access to red or gain access to green. In this case, with this particular set, we are getting support in black to support the idea of actually playing this two-color angel deck, which is really, really neat, and it's one of the things that angels have really lacked over the years. However, th this is what makes it weird to me. It still doesn't feel like angels got like a dedicated Orzov 
angel tribal commander. Like there is the new Furia, which cares about you double casting cards, like two spells per turn. And then it like is also an angel, but it doesn't feel like there's actually still the dedicated angel tribal commander yet, which is just kind of weird. Like, I don't know. When I look at the different options, like Lyra Dawnbringer, I think, uh, back from Dominaria, which is still in mono white, but I'm just like, look at that. And then I look at Furia and I'm just like, I don't know, Furia, you look a little inferior to Lyra. <laughs> oh eh? my goodness. Eh? I'm so eh? proud. <laughs> It's also probably design space they won't revisit a lot. You know, it's mm. relatively easy to go back to Golgari elves um, in most sets, I think. Or, or at the very least, just print things that support, you know, zombie elves or something. We've never seen vampires in the black, or excuse me, angels in this black space before. And I don't think it's the kind of thing we're going to, you're going to be getting new toys for regularly like you would with other, other tribes. And that's really such a huge thing about it. Like angels is just one example, but Dana, exactly what you're saying there is what can cause those different waves of popularity to sort of stick for these different tribes. Some of these tribes will get a whole bunch of support over the years because goblins are everywhere. And then others are like dinosaurs where it's just like, we haven't seen one since Ixalan and we won't for a while. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, another tribe that people have kind of clamored for over the years, and we've only recently got support for it as a tribe, is cats. Um, hmm. Cats have been around as cards since the beginning of Magic, but like they've only really been supported as a tribe since back when Arabo Roar of the World came out. Um, and that is by far the most popular uh, cat tribal commander in 1500 decks. Um, you can play Red and Siri, but you're kind of splitting your focus between uh, cats and the goodest boys there. Um, so it's basically a Rabo or bust for the most part if you want a commander that actually supports your tribe. Yeah, getting the new chariot from Kaldheim, unexpected plot twist. I yes. did not expect us to see cats for a, a, a while, but then the chariot comes in and it's just like, I can make more cat tokens. Be happy, all of you cat decks. And it's like, oh, all right, there is some extra support. But I feel like that's really a rarity in magic. It's not the kind of thing that we see all that often is throwing a bone to uh, those those other tribes when they're especially a little bit more out there and not among the like top 10 most popular tribes, the most common ones. Well, and, and cats are something that like shows up randomly throughout a lot of sets, though. I remember, I think we had a, a few, but when we had the... Uh, the guilds or the Ravnica Allegiance block that we revisited. There were several cats there. There's been cats in core sets. There's been Leonin, which also double as cats. So there's a lot of incidental cat, you know, assistance that we get, plus all the changelings that we're seeing in call time too, that can slot into those decks and, and still get those bonuses. So I feel like cats, they'll maybe get like three or four a year, but sometimes those three or four, like all they really need, because they're pretty powerful sometimes. I think that that kind of is what hurts cats as a tribe a little bit. Um, you know, a zombie is a zombie is a zombie for the most part. That isn't really true of cats. Like the theme they are building in with a Leonin, for example, sometimes tend to have an equipment sub theme, um, is a far different thing than like a kitty cat looking cat, which also there's multiple of in, in Magic that are relatively effective in a cat deck, but they obviously aren't going to build thematically, you know, the, the random alley cat card they print isn't going to do something with hammers like that. They, they don't do that. So <laughs> or you get you also get weird things like you get cats as like a cat snake in Prowling Superpod. So mm. there's just thematically speaking, um, the difference between a pet cat and a Leonin is pretty huge. And they're all cats. And the themes they design for those different kind of creatures 
um, that visually look different but have the same type it tends to be pretty disparate. So I kind of want to circle back to something that Matt just mentioned there about there is sort of a sprinkling in effect that we do sometimes see with those different tribes. In other cases, we also get whole sets that are almost, it appears, completely devoted to just super legitimizing one tribe. When I saw Commander Legends, like with all of its new pirate stuff going on with your Malcolms and your breaches. Like the only thing I could think of was the first evil ex-boyfriend from the movie Scott Pilgrim being like pirates are in this year. Like <laughs> it was like suddenly pirates went from a tribe being like, I don't know if there's a whole lot for Admiral Beckett brass to really work with to like, Oh my goodness. Now we are cutting a ton of pirates. They don't all fit because there are just so many good pirates now that have just completely fleshed out this tribe. And all it took was one set to do that and completely overhaul all of the expectations from that one tribe yeah pirates just got so much help from commander legends and then just kind of cards that have been sprinkled in over time too like you have dockside extortionist which is just a, a absolute powerhouse of a card uh if you can afford it it goes into every pirate deck and it will do uh great great things for you but there's just a ton of different pirates that have just been given to us over the past few years ever since watsy discovered like hey maybe we should do pirates as like a thing <laughs> the last tribe we'll discuss here are rogue uh, which are relatively new in Magic's history as a tribe. Um, and, and this, once we get down the list, is where some of the cohesion starts to break apart. And I think rogues are a really good example of that because they're splitting their focus a little bit with pirates and a little bit with ninjas. Um, a lot of the things rogues do can basically be done by either those two other tribes, depending on what the set's kind of theme or world calls for. So things tend to kind of break down in terms of focus once you get this far down the list. And you're also looking at a tribe where instead of it being oftentimes the primary uh, creature type, it's the secondary one. Mm -hmm. So for the most part, when you're running zombies, they are primarily zombies. A lot of the rogues tend to be a merfolk rogue or a you know vampire rogue or something. That's the secondary portion of what they do. So the identity gets a little bit more blurred the further down this list we go. And this is the first one where that really, I think, stands out. Yeah, that can be a huge hurdle for some tribes. Like when it comes to warrior tribal versus knight tribal versus soldier tribal, like mm -hmm. that's another thing that kind of stands in the way of especially some colors that want to flesh out those those tribal decks. They're almost not able to because those classes can almost be so divided just in generic card design that it's hard to solidify a specific identity to them. And rogues are another great example. Well, I think rogues might be getting some more help. Like they, they had the dedicated pre-constructed deck from uh, mm -hmm. Zendikar Resurgent, but also they they introduced the party mechanic where it specifically gave you a benefit for having a rogue in your party or, or on the battlefield. So I think now that they're kind of actively encouraging rogues specifically, along with some other, some other creature types, we might be seeing that a little bit more moving forward. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Strixhaven, which is another set that's coming up here, uh, coming up next, that's got a, a wizard school, but I'm sure they're going to find a way to fit rogues into maybe even rogue wizards. Who knows? But find <laughs> a way to fit them into the set so that we can kind of continue seeing support for this kind of newly enforced uh, creature type. Yeah. And, and I think, too, not only do rogues sort of represent that, like keep an eye out for the ways that uh, tribal decks might be affected by what are typically class subtypes. But also, I don't know, rogues, the journey for me when I, uh, you know, tried tweaking the pre-constructed Anawan deck was that Rogues was another one of those tribes where it felt like it still needed a bit more time to really work through what the sub-theme for this tribe is going to be. The pre-con was really based around like milling out your opponents and sort of getting some extra benefit by filling your enemies' graveyards and 
it just felt kind of weird for me. As a graveyard player, I know how good an opponent's graveyard can be, and I didn't really want to give my opponents that type of benefit. Like, it made me very hesitant to attack a Marin player, for example, because I'm just, like, giving them fuel. And also, consuming aberration doesn't matter how big my opponent's graveyards are. It's not a rogue. It feels like it doesn't quite belong. And I found myself much more drifting towards just... taking advantage of the rogue's natural evasion. So many of them are unblockable. So when you slap a sort of feast and famine onto a rogue, man, does it feel really, really good. And that gave it more of a unique identity. But yeah, it does. Once you get down the line outside of those powerhouses, it does kind of become your own journey of what is the sub theme that I can make happen for these different tribal decks to make it still feel like that unique thing that is all my own, even if a lot of the other tribes feel a bit more prescriptive. Well, that's quite a bit of information that we've kind of covered here about classic tribal decks and then some speculative ones things that we're, we think are going to be coming up uh, what do you guys think just as we head out here any final thoughts just about tribal decks anything that you know you want to just drop in before we we wrap it up this time um, you know, if we're talking about speculative stuff, I, I would bet we will get more cleric support in the future. Uh, I, I'm fairly certain we're going to revisit that party mechanic in the D&D set this summer. Um, we've got a ton of wizards in Strixhaven. We've just gotten a bunch of warriors. So I, I, I feel like the, the one factor that's missing from that equation is clerics. I would guess they're going to lean into that at some point in the fairly near future. So I'm guessing cleric tribal will get some support. Um, in my last thought is, I guess, kind of this one I had at the beginning where I would say if you are someone who's looking to, to do your first kind of real thematic deck, Tribe is probably the best way to do it. Like, it's it's got everything laid out for you. It's very easy to stay on theme just by running creatures of that type. Um, and, you know, we went over some really popular ones, but there are hun- literally hundreds of different tribes you could build in Magic if you want to. Just find something that's fun for you, and that's a good way, I think, to build that first really thematic deck if you want to go down that route. Yeah, tribal decks are a huge lesson in synergy for sure, where it's not about individual, uh, you know, oh, this is one really powerhouse card in my deck, but rather a whole bunch of cards that are interlocking together and producing extra synergy, exponential synergy on top of that. A a final thing for me too, just like at the top of the episode, I mentioned that tribal decks is not usually my kind of jam because I'm more inspired typically by a single commander that then I can build around its unique abilities. And tribes do feel like you're building from the outside, excuse me, from the inside out rather than the outside in. It's not necessarily a top-down approach where you have this one commander and then you're going to fill out the rest of that. It's much more like, oh, a whole bunch of elves and then I'll find the right commander for all of those elves. And that feels a little bit more awkward to... to to a player like me. But with that said, I feel like there's still a way that you can reverse engineer that if you are unsure about which tribe deck you might really want to try out, for example, because so many of them do have those signature sub themes, which can sort of reveal themselves the closer that you look. It's not just all one big, you know, tribal is a big blanket term, but there's a lot going on when you get down to the specifics of them. Like you might accidentally find yourself in an elemental tribal deck when you're playing a landfall deck, because there are so many landfall cards that whoops, make elemental tokens. You've got your Centicars, Royals, and you got your Omnats making elementals left, right, and center. There are a whole bunch of ways that you can almost reverse engineer yourself into one of those tribal strategies and then flesh it out from there just by basing it off of the sub-themes that you know you really enjoy too. And that can be a, a good, easy way to get yourself into one of those tribal decks as well. Yeah, I agree that you you can find those things when you are in the process of playing it and doing it. Um, I built a Sphinx tribal deck, Asperia Supreme Judge, you know, years ago that I still play. I didn't really have a plan for that deck aside from I'll put a bunch of Sphinxes in a deck. Um, but after playing it, I realized, 
Well, it's, it's a control deck, and one of the problems with control is how do you win the game in Commander sometimes? Well, it's right there in front of me. I have a bunch of like 6-6 six, six evasive bodies that <laughs> all do things. Um, it's a way to win in a control shell, but that wasn't my plan. I didn't like go into that knowing that's what I was going to do. I just discovered that over the course of playing that deck. Yeah, there's a whole bunch to learn from those different tribes. And hey, at the end of the day, maybe what you really ought to do is build a sliver deck and play it against me and give me some childhood traumatic <laughs> flashbacks. Seems like a good way to go. I, All right, well, fellas. I can't, I can't recommend that route, no. <laughs> For the sake of our uh, friendship. <laughs> For the sake of our friendship, I appreciate it, Matt. Anyway, this was a whole lot, but I think what we ought to do now is probably call this episode to a close. So if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, fellas, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast. Wednesday evenings, we are streaming games. We always have a great guest on there. The games are usually pretty fantastic to watch too. Um, a lot of grifting going on over there. So make sure you tune in for all the fun games. <laughs> and Dana, where can we hear your next history lesson? <laughs> you can hear my next history lesson um, on my other podcast, CMDR Central. You can read articles already on EDH Rec. And you can find all of us at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And you can find the cast at EDHRecCast on Facebook and on Twitter as well. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. like to thank once again Josh LeQuay and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling all of the post-production work on the podcast. And we'd like to thank our sponsors for the show too, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. That's right, we are sponsored by both of them, Big Flex. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC to show your support for the show. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Mm -hmm.